Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining us today. This is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. And uh, if you've been following the broadcast, I've been going through a series of beliefs that every Christian should have. And I came up with 30 of them, and I could probably come up with more, but I think these are what I would call non-negotiable beliefs that followers of Christ should believe in. And uh, we're on belief number 14 today. This may take us two days to go through it, but today I want to talk to you about the belief of the power of the kingdom of God, right? The power of God's kingdom. God is going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so you can't have two kings in your life. Many years ago, the fast food giant Burger King drew open criticism because they did an ad of another king and they they called King Felipe of Belgium. And in 2017, Burger King set to open his first location in Belgium. So they thought it'd be really cool to launch an online campaign that would ask its users, who's the king? And allow them to vote for who they wanted to be their king. So they had a cartoon version of the real king of Belgium, King Felipe, or the fictional king, Burger King. Two kings, one single crown, who is going to reign, asked the website. Well, unfortunately, uh, this mock election caught the attention of the Belgium royal family and a spokesman for the family noted its disapproval, stating that since it is for commercial purposes, we would not be given our authorization. It appears that the royal family agrees with Burger King on at least one thing. There can only be one king. You can't have two number ones in your life. You can't have two kings in your life. You obey one or the other. Well, let's look how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, this is kind of right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Why not? Because you can either hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. Then Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. And some translations may say mammon. You can't serve God in money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he uses a, an illustration of the birds of the air. And he says, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks another question. Aren't you more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor. They don't spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, and is, is gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not so much clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Uh, So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, if you're not living for Christ, Your life is not on the winning edge. If you're not living for Christ, 
You're living for something of a kingdom that's not going to last forever. When I look at the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom principle was so important that Jesus actually mentions it 126 times in the ESV translation of of the Gospels. Jesus clearly wanted to get our attention and focus our gaze on the kingdom. However, the kingdom is not a place that is floating around somewhere in the heavenly realm. The kingdom of God in the Bible is simply referring to God's redemptive rule and reign. The use of the little phrase kingdom of heaven is used interchangeably with kingdom of God. The word kingdom points directly to God's ownership or God's rulership, his action, his sovereign governance over all created things. Now, in order to understand how to seek first the kingdom of God, we must know the king. Jesus is the kingdom personified. The kingdom of God came to us through the Son of God. God's redemptive rule and reign sent King Jesus as a ransom for many. We learn in the Bible that humanity is sinful by nature and by choice. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were created as worshiping beings to reflect God. However, when sin entered the world and stained our souls, our worship became swayed away from the Lord who deserved it and into the hands of worldly pleasure. As Jesus states it in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Paul also wrote on this theme when he said in Colossians chapter 3, So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. So what is the kingdom? Let's talk about what it is. Generally, when we think about a kingdom, we're thinking about a territory over which a king reigns. Since we understand that God is the creator of all things, the extent of his reign must be the whole of the world. Manifestly, then the kingdom of God refers to where God reigns. And since he reigns everywhere, the kingdom of God theoretically is everywhere. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we realize it's also a place. The kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount that we just read part of in Matthew 5-7 through refers to the kingdom of heaven. Many parables talked about the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, eight parables talk about the kingdom of heaven just in the book of Matthew. Radically different than most Christians is this alienation of every human being. We're alienated from the kingdom of God, even though we are here in that kingdom. You see, God being good is not good enough. There's something else about this kingdom. It is a place, but it's also invisible. Now, that makes it a little bit of a challenge for us to understand it, right? We think about the long-anticipated kingdom in which God will reestablish the kingdom of David in Psalm 89. Psalm 89 says that I will make first my firstborn the highest. Now, that sounds like a physical throne, and it will be, but right now, the kingdom is invisible to us. The kingdom is not the church. The church is called the bride of Christ. The two are very much intertwined, but kingdom work is what we do, The church is who we are. Invisible work is what God does. There's something else about the kingdom of God. It's kind of a covert kingdom. Uh, You know, we are carrying out this work, and it's not always overtly done. It's sometimes done covertly. 
And we're not talking about hiding. Uh, We're talking about the operation that works and is a mystery to the operation of the kingdom of God. For example, Jesus said this, a little yeast leavens the whole loaf. It's very disruptive, right? It's going to be bringing about a major change to that loaf. Just a little bit of yeast. So I guess we could say that the kingdom of God, in some ways, is disruptive. Maybe a way to understand this is is to understand what disruptive technology is. That may be a phrase that you are not super familiar with, but for example, the car. The car took the place of the horse and buggy. So if you were in the business of making you know, buggies to be pulled by horses, you were disrupted. Your business was disrupted with the onset of the automobile. Computers, for example, took the place of typewriters. Uh, So if you were a manufacturer of the typewriter, all of a sudden you find yourself out of business because computers have overtaken your business. God's kingdom trumps all of my kingdom. So one way we could call it disruptive because it trumps my family and my finances and even the culture that I live in. There was a Washington Post headline that caught my eye. Characterized by or involved in a practice of engaging in multiple romantic relationships with the consent of all the people involved, we discover that there's a new form of group marriage. It's called polyamory. And it has its root in the free love movement of the 1960s and the 1970s. The term polyfidelity was coined around 1971 and uh, it was coined by a hippie, and, and it was living in a communal living arrangement in San Francisco. And so here is what caught my eye. How polyamorous people are making commitments to multiple partners. Uh, the article tells about weddings and other commitment ceremonies involving multiple partners. At no point does the writer question the morality of such relationships. To the contrary, they quote a psychotherapist who touts the benefit of such a ceremony and alleges this, we have the right to be with our loved ones and share the resources that we would normally get to share in a monogamous context. Now, here's another headline along similar lines, okay? Why more and more couples are turning to discreet affairs. According to this writer, research has shown that the secret to a happy marriage is a discreet affair. Now, I find it very interesting that nowhere could I find any research that proves that this is true. Nonetheless, he claims that research affirms that affairs can add excitement to a marriage, sometimes help to make marriages end on a happy and a good note, help to improve communication in marriage, and help to strengthen marriage. Well, I've never seen anything like that in my life. As a matter of fact, in all the years that I've been doing marriage counseling, I never saw where an affair strengthened a marriage. Usually an affair was the beginning of a breakdown of a marriage or the falling apart of a marriage. Well, in other news, the American Academy of Pediatrics has released a book titled Uology. And in this particular Uology book, a subtitle, A Puberty Guide for Everybody, it includes content related to kids who identify as transgender. For example, in chapter number three. A group of boys is in a locker room, and they realize that a biological female is in the locker room as well. 
They question why, and they're accosted by the girl's brother, who explains. Oliver was assigned as a female by birth. That's why you may have known him in the past as Olivia. But Oliver is a boy. So that means he's transgender. He belongs in the boys' locker room as much as any of us do. Well, meanwhile, the New York Post tells us that a stay-at-home girlfriend who spends days stretching and getting Botox and getting her lashes done warn that she is totally dependent upon her boyfriend and she's been encouraged to come up with a backup plan. But as she looks at her life, she has no other options. Now, as we look at this, where is this going? This is the allure of normalization. This is the process of which wisdom becomes conventional. We accept certain things. Now, here's the irony of this whole demise of what we're seeing taking place. When we look at the battle to keep the Bible out of real life, it used to be that the Bible was kind of the center of our lives and that we would use the Bible for matters of religion, and that's good, but we'd also use it in matters of marriage and matters of money and matters of morality and matters of sex and matters of government and matters of history. The Bible held a very firm place. We no longer see that. As a result of no longer seeing that, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Their priority is to seek their own kingdom. And if science backs up their agenda, great. If it doesn't, that doesn't really matter either, because they are the central force of what they believe. Seeking first the kingdom of God is a whole different way of living your life. When you seek first the kingdom of God, it involves repentance. Here's how we do it. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. That's what John says when Jesus appears on the scene. And then Jesus begins to preach and says the same thing in Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So the rule and the, the reason for the rule and is the ongoing, the reign of Christ. I must repent. That is, I must turn in my way of thinking. I must turn in my direction. So there's some things that we understand that are part of the kingdom of God. When I'm part of the kingdom of God, I read God's word, right? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the companies of markers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on the law day and night. You see, when I repent, I agree with what God's word says. When I repent, I am turning and I'm going to maintain an awareness of my need for, for God. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When I repent, I also examine where my treasures are stored. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I was telling a class of new members to our church uh, just this last weekend. I said, I can tell you where your heart is if I could take a peek at your bank statement. As I look at your bank statement, I would know where your heart is. And I said, you know, if you look at my bank statement, you're going to find that I love Chick-fil-A. You're going to love that I love uh, fast food restaurants, right? And, uh, and that's where I go. And it's not just because of me. I have a son that eats Chick-fil-A and he loves spicy chicken sandwiches, okay? So if you follow the treasures, you will discover where your heart is. 
I also discover, if you look at my bank statement, that I really love my church. I love my church because I give generously to my church. I love the people of God. I love the church of God. And so where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When a person repents, they also are ones who are being led by the Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, says Romans 14, 17. Those who have repented receive the kingdom as a child. Luke 18, 16. Jesus said, you know, let those little children come to me. Why? Now, don't hinder them. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to the such of these. So I receive this kingdom through childlike faith. Those who have received the kingdom of God through repentance have a heart that is filled with understanding and with strength. Jesus put it like this in Mark chapter 12. He says, we're to love him with all of our heart, with all of our understanding, with all of our strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is more important than burnt offerings, more important than sacrifices. When Jesus saw that they had answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, nobody dared to ask him any more questions. As you think about the kingdom of God, it's loving the Lord with all of your heart, all of your comprehension, all of your strength, all of your your understanding, and then loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That is the second part of it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a commandment, and there's no greater one than this. Well, what happens when I seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, Jesus answers that question. He says, all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, all these things that I worry about, what are you worried about today? Are you worried about how you're going to pay your mortgage and how you're going to pay to put gas in your car? Or, or how you, are you worried about uh, what's going to happen to your children? Are you worried about terrorism? Are you worried about uh, being, not being safe? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things that you worry about will be given to you as well. Jesus continues on, and maybe this, this, during this broadcast, you're, you're worrying about forgiveness. You know, Jesus said, forgive, and you receive forgiveness. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out onto your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Maybe you're having a hard time forgiving somebody right now. Has it ever occurred to you that when you forgive that person, that guilt that you're battling with, uh, that inability to let go of something will be given to you. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. You know, I want you to know, God has a purpose in everything that happens to you. He wants to take the events of your life and he wants to use them, the circumstances of your life, to shape you, to conform you. I've discovered something about how God works in my life. He is much more interested in developing my character than he is in developing my comforts. He is willing to have me be a little bit uncomfortable in order to become more like him. That's the kingdom of God principle, living for Christ. Today, as you listen to this broadcast, I want you to live with Christ as king in all areas of your life. Charles Spurgeon said, if you live for yourself, money, for fame, for comfort, or for anything else, Christ is not your king. You see, when I'm living in the kingdom of God, I'm a giver. My treasure is going toward giving to bless others. I'm also a forgiver. I'm able to forgive the unforgivable in my life. 
I'm not going to say that it's easy, but when I have received great forgiveness, I am able to forgive others greatly. And then I'm a receiver. I receive the kingdom of God. I'm no longer living below the circumstances of my life. I am above the circumstances of my life. You know, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I'm so happy that I don't have to be a victim of what happens to me. I am a victor because Christ lives within me. You know, for many years, I battled this whole concept of the kingdom of God because I thought I was large and in charge. I thought if it was going to be, it was going to be because of me. I realized that as I surrender to the kingdom of God, as I surrender to the will of God in my life, he changes my desires. He changes my life from all aspects. You know, I was listening to a pastor give a podcast sermon not too long ago. And he was talking about when he was a teenager, and he was talking about the fact that when he was a teenager, he had some friends that came up to him in high school and says, you know, I don't want to be a Christian because I look at you and and you have no fun and you can't do the things that we do. This pastor, who was not a pastor at that time, just a teenager at that time, wisely responded. He says, you know, I can be like you anytime I want. I can smoke as much uh, weed as I want to smoke. I can snort as much cocaine as I want to snort. I can sleep with any uh, any girl that I want to sleep with. I-, I can do anything that I want to do. He says, but the difference between me and you is that God has changed my desires. I no longer want to do those things. I am changed. I'm a different person. My desires have changed. That's what happens when you become part of the kingdom of God. He doesn't take things from you. He changes your desires. You no longer want to do the things that you used to do. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you know, all these other things that you worry about are given to you as well. Well, I want you to know living the kingdom life is a life of hope, and it's an adventure, right? Some people say, well, living the Christian life is a boring life, And I want you to know, uh, if you think by boring, uh, going out and getting drunk and coming home and and having a hangover and and trying to uh, spend a day getting over that night of a party, if you think that's the the exciting life, I want you to know more of an exciting life would be being able to go to bed at night, put your head on that pillow and sleep like a baby with the peace that passes all understanding and wake up the next day full of vigor and full of life and, and, and no regrets for what happened the night before. That is the life of a joyful Christian, putting Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. You see, the reason we no longer have joy in our lives is because we get that inverted. We spell it, instead of joy, we spell it yoj, and that makes no sense at all, Uh, but yoj is a life that is putting yourself first, others second, and Jesus last. That is a recipe for an unfulfilled life. Uh, maybe you're listening to me today and says, you know, all this sounds good, but there's something that is kind of missing in my life. You know, Vance Havner says that God created in the hearts of every person a God-shaped void. That's right, a God-shaped void. It's a void that can only be filled by God himself. So many times we try to put other things in that little void. Uh, it's like putting a square peg in a round hole. Uh, it seems to fit, but it doesn't exactly fit. It, And for a while, these things may bring a temporary fulfillment, but it's never long-lasting. I want you to know the uh, the reason you have a God-shaped void in your life is because God wants to fill it. C.S. Lewis said, if there's a desire that cannot be filled here on this earth, 
It's because that desire was meant to be fulfilled from something outside of this earth. That is our relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, I hope that this has been a blessing to you and an encouragement to you. I want you to know that heaven and earth will pass away, but the kingdom of God, the word of God will live forever. That's why I'm so excited about the power of God's kingdom. God has called us to be kingdom people. His agenda, his kingdom. So today, if I can help you, shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365. I'll pray for you and I'll pray with you. I'll add you to our prayer list and there's something that we can pray for you as a church. And I want to thank you for listening today. And I want you to know that God wants you to live a life that advances his kingdom and then you will experience the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what gets us through the the trials of our lives. That's what gets us through the setbacks in our lives, realizing that he is in control. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. I appreciate you tuning in today. And I want you to know that if nobody has told you that they love you today, I want you to know that I love you and the Lord loves you. And uh, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. God bless you and thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.